0: The following program is sponsored by The National Prayer Chapel
1: A crown of thorns Placed on his head He knew that he Would soon be dead He said from
0: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Let's pray. Lord, I come today, and I come boldly with confidence to the throne of grace, That we today on this broadcast could receive mercy and find grace for help in our time of need. Lord, I know that your promises are true and that you are faithful. I know that you always fulfill what you said you would do. You are not a man to lie. Your yes is yes and your no is no. So, Lord, we come boldly today before your throne. For we know we need grace. And we need your mercy. For this is America's time of need. Lord, we are in desperate condition. Every evil thing is being lifted up as though it were good. And every good thing is being cast down as though it were evil. Everything is upside down. And Lord, in our own lives, many have grown cold, like ice, going through the rituals of their faith, but no passion. Oh, Lord, passion for professional sports, passion for entertainment, Passion for video games, but no passion for you, Jesus. It has to change. Lord, I come today, and I come with confidence, trusting that you are who you say you are, and that you will come and bring revival to America, that you will turn us once more from our sin That you will confront us. That you will say, Enough is enough. No more. Oh Lord, come and minister to us now during this hour that we share together. Call us, Almighty God. Call us out of the darkness into the light. And Lord, we will praise you and honor you and glorify your name. For you are the Almighty. I pray in your holy name. Amen. There's a passage of scripture that I want to read for you. You know it. It's very familiar, but I need to read it to you. I want to be very deliberate. It's found in the book of John, the third chapter, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God So loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We know what Jesus did for us, we know he came, born as a baby in a manger. We know what Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, says. He grew up before him like a a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our diseases and our sicknesses and carried our pain, yet we considered him stricken by God You know, I read this 53rd chapter of Isaiah, and I come back and I read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is what God did for us. This is what Jesus did for you. And it has forced me to ask a question. How have you treated Jesus? This is how he treated us. How have you treated him? I received a letter this past week. I want to share it with you. When I read it, I couldn't help but cry. It's from a dear sister in the Lord. She lives out west. She's a regular listener. Let me read it for you. I can't thank you enough for what your ministry means to me. I've never had a minister like you that explains things so explicitly with such clear examples to follow. For this, I'm so thankful because it encourages me to do likewise. I have longed for revival and to experience a great awakening in our church. God promises to pour out his spirit in the last days. I plan to be a part of it. I'm reading a book by Derek Prince, The Coming Revival. He says in 1953, the Lord spoke these words to him. There shall be a great revival in the United States and Great Britain. So he wrote this book to tell us how we are to prepare ourselves to be used by the Lord in the revolutionary times to come. And then too, Gwen Shaw wrote in her book that God has saved the best wine for the last. I pray this is so. I've reminded the Lord that the end times church cannot do anything unless we're empowered from on high. Jesus can't come now the way the church is today. Who would make it? I believe God is going to supernaturally do many mighty acts, and even greater than this world has ever known. Praise the Lord. I've been struggling in my prayer life for years, but I won't give up. I will press on until I'm at the place where you are and also where you want to be. Until I listened to your messages, I really didn't understand that I need to repent of my sins, of my apathy, unbelief, unfaithfulness. And the list goes on. That's why heaven feels like brass and I'm not getting anywhere. I realize now how how I've dishonored the Lord. And you said, who am I to be impatient with Almighty God? As I've been studying, I realized in Colossians 3.17 that I've sinned by not doing everything in the name of the Lord and then giving him thanks. In everything means that when I start the car or do my daily chores and so on, In this, I've disobeyed this scripture and have sinned. And secondly, the Holy Spirit revealed to me that I've disobeyed this scripture also. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I've been fasting and praying that the Lord show me more of my sins. I desire to be an overcomer and will be persistent until I become so much like Jesus that there will be little difference between us. What a goal! Right now, I have a part time responsibility of taking care of my 94 year old mother who, who claims to be a Christian, but I know she's not ready for heaven. She believes she's saved because our pastor has preached what I call a broad road. By listening to you, you have confirmed to me she's not ready. When she was younger, she neglected reading her Bible. That tells me a lot. I asked her if she'd ever read the entire Bible, and no, she hadn't. I've tried to explain to her what she must do to be truly saved, But so far she hasn't responded, still believing she's going to heaven. My heart aches for her because she's so blinded. And our ministers won't preach the truth. They quote one scripture and stand on it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's why I'm so thankful for you. I wish Mama could hear you, but she's almost deaf, and her dementia has gone into Alzheimer's. The only way is unless the Lord draws her. I want to comment on your March 2nd message when you prayed. I not only wept, but sobbed. I know exactly how you feel. I'm excited about how God is going to build a new church. We so desperately need it. Your sister in the Lord. Thank you. Your sister, thank you. She's really touched in that letter on what I need to talk with you about. And that is how we've treated Jesus. Jesus. the coldness of heart, the apathy, the lukewarmness. Doing things, saying things that is, that's inappropriate before the Holy Spirit, causing him to be grieved and to withdraw. Being casual. Some of you are not reading your scripture at all. You're not really praying. You might, Say a short prayer or lead a little read a little pre digested morning watch book. That's not gonna get the job done. That's just playing games with God. Everything was poured out for us. But when John wrote to Sardis, he said, You're dead. Well, there are a few among you who are not yet dead. Hang on. But he said the church was dead. That's what we face in America. The church is dead. And a brand new kind of church has to be born. Oh, it's been born before. It was born in the New Testament. But I have to share with you the New Testament church also had some very serious problems. Let me read it to you. This is James preaching to the New Testament church. What do you think he'd say to the church today if he were here? I fear he would be much more stern than this. He says, You adulterous people, no, he's not speaking about sexual idolatry or adultery. He's speaking about becoming fully involved in the things of the world and not in the things of Jesus Christ. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of of god or do you think that scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely but he gives us more grace that's why scripture says god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble submit yourselves then to god Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. This is to the New Testament church in Jerusalem. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This is James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, writing to his parishioners in the fourth chapter of the book of James. He's saying, You're double minded. You've chosen to be a friend of the world. And you cannot be a friend of the world and a friend of Jesus. When you're a friend of the world, you become an enemy of Jesus. And today the American church, oh, we love to hang with Jesus on Sunday morning and then hang with the football or the baseball in the afternoon. A friend of the world. Hatred toward God. We have our, our video games, our, our war games, our, our violence, our movies. We fill our hearts with ambition and the lust after money. That new car. Some of you will not even think twice about, oh, let's go buy a new car and we'll make the payments. We can easily make the payments. Oh, really? How do you know that? Do you know what your tomorrow holds? We've become enemies of God. Because we don't know how to wait on Him. We're not as Romans 12 puts it, living sacrifices. So when we come boldly to the throne of God, that means something. Let me try to talk about my struggle. For many years, I asked Jesus for things that i didn't really want to have i was lying to god i was insincere i would i would pray for his blessing but i was unwilling to meet the conditions and then i blamed him I prayed for the presence of the Holy Spirit while I continued to hang on to the worldly entertainment. I said, Jesus, I'll do whatever you want me to do, and I'll go wherever you want me to go, as long as I'm comfortable. My precious late wife, Jan, We used to say to one another, Jesus stands between us. We're both very strong willed. We'd say, Jesus stands between us. That means Jesus has first right. But then when he took her with cancer, I was utterly devastated. I was willing to have Jesus as long as life was happy and successful. as long as I had a sense of progress and accomplishment. I didn't know then what I know now, that when I gave, when I gave Jan to Jesus, I was saying, if you want to, Jesus, you can take her home now. we stood by faith for her healing. We said, we're going to trust Jesus. I didn't know that trusting Jesus for healing could mean that she would die. I do today. And today I trust Jesus with my life. I trust Jesus that he's going to do in my life exactly what he needs to do, whatever that is. How did that come about? Well, I'll tell you. I came to a point some years ago in my mind where I said, I will not ask Jesus for anything that I am not willing to accept. I will no longer lie to God. I will not say to him, you are everything to me, and then make entertainment everything to me, or to make money everything to me, or to make success everything to me. If I'm going to say to Jesus, you are everything to me, then Jesus must be everything to me. not entertainment, not success, not provision. If Jesus is everything for me and I'm going to receive only from his hand what he gives me, am I willing to receive from his hand the bitter medicine of suffering? Or must I only receive from his hand the blessing of success, health, enjoyment? No. I made up my mind consciously and covenanted with God to never again say anything to Jesus in my prayer life that I didn't really mean. I made a covenant that I would never again lie to God, that I would not come to him and say, Jesus, you're everything to me, while I knew in my heart I was lusting after something or someone else. He really wants to be first. Now I wonder will your soul consent to never lie to God again? Will your soul con- consent to no more pretense with God? that you will do as the sister's letter that I just shared with you where she says, I want to be like Jesus. What is it that you really want in your heart and in your life? How have you treated Jesus? Has he been treated like a hobby? You have your responsibilities and they come ahead of Jesus. Or does Jesus come ahead of any of your supposed responsibilities? Is he first? If you're sitting down to a wonderful meal and you receive a very firm impression in your heart, I want you to come and pray. Would you get up from the table and leave your family and go pray? Or would you say, later, Jesus, when I get a moment, I'll come. I can tell you when you get there, he'll be gone. How are you treating Jesus? Is he truly first in your life? Have you said, Jesus, you are everything to me? And is he, in fact, everything to you? Is he more important than your success? Is he more important than your responsibilities? I was talking with with my daughter this morning, and she was sharing with me a number of things that are happening in the extended family. And with friends, and I recognized I'd been missing a lot. And a feeling of sadness came over me because I've missed so much in my family and with friends. And I said, what have I been doing? And the answer was immediate. I've been putting Jesus first ahead of my family. I'm not saying work. I'm not saying church. I'm saying Jesus. I've been putting Jesus first. And when Jesus is first, everything else has to come second, third, fourth, fifth. Your whole time schedule, your whole money schedule, your bills. Everything changes as you put Jesus first and you treat him as first in your life. I'm not talking about rituals. I'm not talking about, oh, I've got a. I've got to spend this hour reading the scriptures. Yes, you need to spend an hour reading scripture. And yes, you need to spend an hour praying. Prayer doesn't really begin until after the first hour. But all of that has to be secondary to the person of Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ. He must be first. It is to him we owe our loyalty. It is to him we owe our love. (laughs) Tell me, be honest with me. Are you cold-hearted toward Jesus in your actions, in your time, Are you lukewarm? Or are you on fire? Talking with everyone you meet about Jesus, is he first on your lips? I loved yesterday meeting friends and people, and the first thing they'd say to me is, Pastor, how are you doing? And I'd say back to them, Christ is risen. How do you think I'm doing? It's awesome. And tomorrow, he's risen then too. I'm doing wonderfully, serving him and loving him. How about you? Most did not give me that response. Your life is very short. As I've gotten older, more and more often, I hear about friends or a family member who's passed and their time here is finished. Their probationary period has closed. And many of them are hell-bound. Many of them will never see heaven, even though they say they are Christians. But in fact, according to Pastor James, in the New Testament church, they are enemies of God because they are friends with the world. So I guess I have to ask you a question. I'm full of questions today. The question is Will you say to yourself, my soul? Will you consent to make Jesus first and everything? Will you give up your sin? And will you give yourself and your ways to him? Will you do it now? I know by this point, some of you are very uncomfortable. I hope you're still listening but the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about very specific issues in your life, and you've been pushing them away and saying, I don't have time to deal with that now. If you don't deal with Jesus now, when will you deal with him? Some of you are husbands. Are you leading your family? Are you leading your wife? Are you helping her prepare for heaven? Or have you sunk lower than she has sunk? So that she now tries to be the spiritual leader of the family because you're unwilling to do the job. Do you pray with your wife? Do you pray with your husband? Do you encourage your spouse? Do you encourage your children? to be a follower of Jesus. I've seen time after time where a wife, using her wonderful influence over her husband, has helped bring him back into line with Jesus Christ. I've also seen husbands bring their wives into line with Jesus Christ and totally reorganize their priorities as a family around jesus and the kingdom of god i praise god for you if you are doing that with your family with your wife with your husband with your children one man i asked him do you as a family ever sit down to eat a meal together and his answer was immediate no we don't what Your family does not sit down and break bread together? No. (coughs) Pardon me. I can't think of anything worse for a family. Grab a plate of food. Head to the living room and sit down in front of the television. or, Or as I watched one couple in a public restaurant. For the first half hour, they sat. Father, mother, young daughter, they sat and looked at their cell phones. They didn't talk to each other. Mom and dad, it's time for you to stow your foolish cell phones. It's time to talk with your children. It's time to set up structures for a healthy, happy family. I grew up in a family where every morning the school bus came for us at 7.30 sharp. We had to be outside waiting or we would get left behind. Mother left for work at 6 a.m. So dad would get us up in time to be with mother. And he would read a scripture. He might say something about it, and then we would pray as a family. Dad first, mother second, my big brother Roger, then my big brother Don, and then little Ray prayed. That same ritual happened in the evening where mother would read or dad would read, talk about Jesus. And then we would kneel down together and we would pray on our knees. That was all the time. Never a day went by. Didn't matter if it was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The ritual was the same. Always family worship. Always sitting down and eating meals together. Family structure. Oh, pastor, I can't do that. I don't have time. Do you have time to take your wife to heaven? Do you have time to take your children to heaven? Do you have time to take your husband to heaven? Do you have time to make Jesus first in your lives, or are you always going to be splattered, running here and there, fulfilling the responsibilities of life, but never producing the fruit of righteousness in your family or in your life? confused, hard-pressed, poverty. All of that comes out of a lack of structure, out of a lack of commitment to make Jesus first in your life as a family and as an individual. The Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. He's been speaking to you about very specific things that you need to adjust in your life and repent about and set a new course, a new direction. You knew that you were sinning against God by going to that pornography you knew the violent movie was not going to help you in your walk with Jesus. You knew the long hours that you would spend with the television and the professional sports and the foolish sitcoms, the time you would spend, can you believe this, adult men who call themselves Christians sitting and feeding on a a television show Of vampires hunting human beings and drinking their blood. Demonic. Ugly. But. A Christian man says. Hey. It's interesting. Not going to hurt anything. I don't believe in vampires. But it's entertaining. Really. As you're on your way to hell. Do you understand this is this is not something we're here to play with. Salvation is real and hell is real. And the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you for some time about very specific things in your life where you are filled with apathy or you're cold-hearted where there's no fire, and you don't talk to anybody about Jesus. You've never won anyone to Jesus. You just take it, and you're very pious, and you think you're on your way to heaven, but you don't fulfill the gospel commission, and you don't have any power, and you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit in the fullness of Pentecost. You said you got it all when you were baptized. You were deceived. You did not receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you were baptized in water. You have an anointing on your life. The Holy Spirit is moving and calling you. And as you walk in righteousness, he'll meet you. But that's not what Jesus intends for you. Will you or will you not? Leave your sin now. will you or will you not? Mark it. The Holy Spirit is watching. He's listening. And if you do not leave your sin now with a covenant with Jesus to be washed by his blood, if you harden your heart now as you listen, you have gone one step closer to hell. And each time the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you resist him, the Holy Spirit will less and less come to you until he leaves you entirely and there's no longer any conviction in your heart and you become just a religious person, a spiritual person, but not a Christian person, and you're hellbound. The devil has caused some of you to be so stressed, to be so hard-pressed in your work and in your family that you think that's supposed to be your life. And Jesus is way down on your list of priorities. So again, I'm asking you, Some of you are cynical, angry, fearful. Did you know fear is unbelief? It's not trusting Jesus, and it makes him angry. That's why he sent the children of Israel into the desert to die in the desert, because they were so filled with fear and unbelief, they would not take him at his word. Fear is a disease. Jesus is the cure. The word of God will heal you. So again, I ask, will you do it now? Will you renounce your sin now? And will you pledge yourself to seek after Jesus until you have received the fullness of the Holy Spirit's baptism like Pentecost. Will you leave your sin now? Will you stop playing with the devil? You say, I want to be a friend of God's. Really? Then leave those things that are questionable, that are doubtful. Leave those things that you love so much. Cast them off in the name of Jesus. Change your ways. Change your practices. (laughs) Your life is what it is because you've chosen to create it that way. Whatever it is. And you have the power now to choose to leave that life, whatever it is, and enter fully into Jesus Christ and into his peace and into his joy. And I urge you to come boldly now to the throne of grace, confessing and coveting with God that you will leave those things behind. You will leave fear behind. You will lose lose your apathy. You will renounce your lukewarmness. You will stop lying to God about wanting to be a Christian, but then not walking in the way of righteousness. Are you a Christian? Or are you an enemy of God? If you're friends with the world, you're an enemy of God. And you're not a Christian. You may be a religionist, but you're not a Christian. A Christian is a Christ Follower. Will you now, at this moment, give up sin and give up your ways? Will you do it now? Lord Jesus, you are birthing a whole new kind of church. And right now we're seeking you with all of our hearts. And we will have you. We will not lie to you. We will not pretend. We want you, Jesus, with all of our hearts. We will not give up. We will pray until we have the victory. We come boldly to your throne of grace knowing that at the throne of grace, there is grace and mercy to help us become who you want us to be. Lord, I pray for every person right now who's in the valley of decision. They need to make that new choice, that new decision. They need to change their ways. I'm asking, Lord, Would you come and speak to them right now? Would you cause them now to say, yes, Lord, will you pull them through into victory, Jesus? I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, the good news is that last month's radio bill is completely covered. I can't thank each of you enough who has so kindly and generously given. I'm humbled by your love for Jesus and your love for this message, this gospel, for this radio broadcast. Thank you. And now we're working on this month's radio bill. It comes up once a month. We pay every day a set amount. So please, if you'd like to help us cover the radio bill, the cost of this broadcast, would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And please go to our web page. Brother Ed has done a whole new web page. It is a wonderful place for you to grow. You can also give there online, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you all. I love you. Would you subscribe to this channel? I'll talk to you soon.